morning, everyone. Good to see everyone this morning. Welcome. Um, if it's your first time with us, it's great to have you with us. If you're back again, haven't been away for a while, great to have you with us as well. It's good to be in God's house. And so welcome to those who are gathered. Also welcome to those who are online today. Um, still, we're doing the online services and we will continue to do that for the foreseeable future. Um, and so, yeah, it's great to welcome our online audience as well. Um, just for those who are online, uh, if you just get yourself ready for communion, we will take communion today again, uh, just so that if you're uh, prepared for that, if you're at home, then that would be great. But here we are, we're here together, and God is here in this place. Do you believe that today? Some people do. God is here in this place. Through his spirit, he is here in this place. And we, we just want to come before him and recognize his presence in this place and invite him to speak into our hearts today, to invite him to be so present in all that we do today. And so let's just, let's just bow our heads in prayer as we welcome uh, our, our Heavenly Father through the Holy Spirit into this place today. Father, we just thank you that you are here. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is everywhere at the same time. Father, it's just incredible to think of that. Father, just like the air we breathe is, is everywhere across the world at the same time. Father, so your spirit is everywhere at the same time and your Holy Spirit is here today and we give you thanks for that. And Father, we want to worship you today with everything that's within us. We thank you for the health and strength to be here today. Father, we thank you for the many blessings which you pour out upon our lives every day. And Father, we just pray, help us to have a, a really thankful heart today as we come to worship you through song, through taking communion, Father, through reading your word and meditating on that. And Father, we just, we're here to worship you through our very presence in this service today. Father, whether it's in person or online, Father, we, we, we just recognize that we're here as an act of worship today to you. And so, Father, we pray, enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Just to remind people that we're not permitted to sing, so I just need to reiterate that. Um, but Sarah's going to lead us in worship, and we can continue to sing and make music in our hearts. So let's worship him today. Defeated. 
just going to read some uh, verses from Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as we prepare to take communion. And I'm going to read it from the message translation today. And this is what Paul's saying to this church here. He says, let me go over with you again exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it's so centrally important. I received my instructions from the Master himself and passed them on to you. The Master, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. And what he was saying was that the bread reminds us of the body of Jesus which would be broken, and the wine reminds us of the blood of Jesus which was shed for us for the forgiveness of sin. And then he goes on to say, what you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you, you reenact in your words and actions the death of the master. You will be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. And I don't know about you, the, the, one of the reasons I read this from the message is because I, I remember as a kid hearing this passage read out every Sunday in the King James Version of the Bible. And it became something that you learned by habit, by rote. And it's very easy when we get into habits and routines to lose the meaning in the thing that we're doing. And so we need to keep things fresh. And that's what he's saying, don't let familiarity breed contempt. In other words, don't take for granted this opportunity that we have to take bread and to take wine and to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so that's what we're going to do today. So let's prepare to take uh, bread and wine together. It also encourages us to look at ourselves, to examine ourselves, to look at our own hearts, examine your motives, test your heart, and come to this meal in holy awe, it says. Let's take a moment just before we take the bread to look at ourselves and to ask God to search our hearts and to point out anything that we need to maybe confess before him and say, actually, this isn't right in my life. But let's just take a moment to do that and just some stillness and let's pray that prayer and ask God to come in and to point out and to forgive us and to make us clean. And then we'll take the bread together. Father, if there's anything at all within us, within our hearts, within our attitudes, our thoughts, things that we've maybe said, things that we've maybe done, that, Father, are not pleasing to you, then, then Lord, we just confess them today. And we ask that you would come and, and do what you've said you'll do. Father, your word says that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us, but also to make us clean, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from every sin. And so, Father, we just want to come before you this morning as we take bread and wine. Father, knowing that we're right before you and that we're clean. Father, we ask that you'd forgive us and that you'd make us clean in any area of life as we just confess those things to you. In Jesus' name we ask. Let's just take the, the bread together. Father, we take this wine as a reminder of the blood of Jesus which was shed for us, not only in the cross, but even in the lead up to the cross. And Father, we think of Gethsemane where he was so distressed in his spirit as he prayed to you. 
that even his very life's blood came out through his pores. He was so stressed, so distressed about what lay ahead of him. Father, as he was beaten, as he was lashed, Father, as he was crucified, Father, as that spear was thrust into his side, after, even after he had died. And Father, we think of what he endured for us, that he took the penalty, the punishment of our sin upon himself, and he paid that. He paid that. He squared our debt. And Father, we just thank you for Jesus, for all that he has done for us today. Let's just take the wine together as well. Father, we just thank you for the very reality of the fact that your Holy Spirit lives within us. Father, it's just incredible to think that the Holy Spirit, who's everywhere all the time, actually lives within us. And Father, we just pray that we would continue to make more room for your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, that we, our own sort of will and desire and the things that we are after, Lord, would, would just become less and the things which you will and desire for us would become more and that we would allow you to just fill us afresh today. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and just fill us afresh in this place today. Father, we need to be filled with the Spirit continually. And so, Father, we just pray for this service today, Lord, that you'd come and that you would speak and that you would fill us with your very presence, your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. I do need to make one or two announcements today and I will do this before I do my announcements because you know what I'm like by the time I get to the end I've forgotten to do it so uh, for all the, the track and trace purposes uh, just take a wee picture well, if I do that I'll only need to take two there you go excuse the inconvenience but just to remind us, uh, over the course of the week, we have Monday prayer at 9.30 on Zoom. Wednesday prayer at 7.30 in the evening on Zoom. By the way, the Monday is the morning at 9.30, remember. Uh, and also, is Oxygen back on this week, Lindsay? Cool. So that will be online. So I'm getting the nod. Just, uh, I've sent out an email to the church, but just so that you're aware, uh, 16th of May will be our celebration Sunday, followed by our AGM, Annual General Meeting, just to clear up any confusion. What I was saying, or what I was trying to say in the email, <laughs> was that uh, for the second part, the AGM part, uh, it will be on Zoom, the camera will be running for that, um, and that will be the part that's only, sort of, it's not going to go sort of public on Facebook and stuff like that, it will just be Zoom. And that the whole thought is that for the first part, we will look at the, the year and what's kind of went on in 2020 uh, and just do a review of the year and, and just kind of celebrate the things that God has been doing as normal. The second part will be a little bit more intimate because it's like our family gathering. That's what I was really getting at. You know, I was thinking about us sitting around a table having dinner. And when we sit around a table and have dinner, we don't have a camera and publish it all on Facebook, okay? And we don't allow our chat to go into public. That's our time. And really, that's what I was trying to say as a family. I'll word it better the next time, okay? Uh, so just give me a wee second here to sort something on my iPad. There we go. Okay, so... The other thing that I wanted to say uh, was that on the 23rd of May, we have our first guest speaker live in person in the building, and it will be for, at this point in time, it's over a year since we had a live guest speaker. So I'm really excited about that. And uh, it's actually a guy called Alan Ross, who's Andrew Smith's associate pastor down in Glasgow. And uh, Alan is going to be coming and speaking to us. And Alan has a real prophetic dimension to his ministry. And so 
I'm just kind of asking him to come and to share God's word with us. And if he has a prophetic word, then then he will share that. How we're going to do that, I'm not entirely sure yet uh, with cameras and blah, blah, blah. But we'll sort something out. But I encourage as many people to be in the building as possible. But it will be online as well. Uh, I just want to pray uh, just for a second um, before we go into God's word. Um, and maybe you could flick up my presentation as well, Sophie. But let's just pray. Just some people that we want to pray for today and situations that we want to remember. Father, we, we, we thank you that we can come before you with our needs, with the things that are heavy in our hearts. And Lord, we know that there are many people in our church who have needs. Father, people who are struggling with very real situations... And so, Father, we pray that you'd come and that you would be present in every heart, in every situation. Lord, you see the situation, you hear what's happening, you understand, and Father, we ask that you would just move in those situations, that you would be present in those situations. Lord, we know that you are, but Father, we pray that you just demonstrate your presence in every situation. And we pray specifically for Beth today, Lord, we ask that you would just bring a healing touch into her body. Father, that you just uh, bring wholeness into her her whole being, body, soul, and spirit. Father, we pray for all who are grieving at this time, for all who are touched by sadness, whether in the church or, or in our community, our wider community. Father, we pray that you would just come and that you'd be a comfort and a strength to all uh, who are grieving. Father, we pray Uh, particularly for Gavin, who visited our church a few weeks ago. Father, we pray for him and his family, Lord, the the loss of his dad uh, just this week. Father, we just pray that you'd be a comfort to them, a strength, that you'd be their peace at such a difficult time. Father, we pray for those who are experiencing difficult situations at work, Lord, problems where the solution isn't maybe so obvious, And Father, we just pray uh, for wisdom, for knowledge, for understanding, for a right attitude. Father, just to uh, have the skill to solve the problem that's there. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing on those who go out into the workplace this week. And Lord, we ask that they would know your presence and strength as they do their day-to-day job. And so, Father, we just bring each one before you. And Father, I pray again for Pastor Daly down in Glasgow, who's, as far as I know, still uh, struggling with COVID and a coma. And Lord, we just pray for deliverance for Pastor Daly. Lord, we pray that you would heal his body completely. And Father, that you would just restore him to full health and strength. And so, Father, we just ask that you would demonstrate your healing power in that situation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so... Today, I want to just spend a little bit of time, hopefully, thinking about this question, what is the church, with a particular emphasis. And uh, it was really strange for me last week to be sitting in church listening to a message. That hasn't happened for such a long time, because even if you think about last year, even when I was on holiday, we were pre-recording all the messages and everything was done, recorded, edited, uploaded, and ready to go for the Sunday. So even though we weren't gathered in person, and so... Last Sunday was my first Sunday to listen, and Sam's, it was a great word that you brought uh, for us last week. And, And what struck me as I was listening to a message in here is that sometimes God says things that the speaker never intended to say. And I find that really interesting because somebody will say afterwards, oh, that was really interesting. You talked about such and such. And you're like, did I talk about that? And, and sometimes, sometimes the Holy Spirit can take things and say things that actually never came out of the speaker's mouth. That's what's so incredible about, about preaching. The Holy Spirit can take uh, what has been said and, and can say his own thing through it. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you come and speak today to each of our hearts and that we would hear what you want to say to us. Today, uh, you know, I just want to think a little bit about what is the church. And essentially what I'm going to say is that the church is people. The church is people. And we want to just understand that what we value in here is people, okay? People are important. People matter to God. Did you know that the church today, not this church, thankfully, um, 
But the church worldwide is 2.38 billion people strong. People who profess to follow Jesus, 2.38 billion. Around one in three people in the world today profess to follow Jesus. What an incredible statistic. I don't know about you. I, you know, do you, think, do you think you know that many people who are Christians? It's interesting, reflect on that. We might see in our part of the world that actually there are not that many people who are Christians. The church is in decline. People are leaving church and all these types of things, and we see that. But actually, the church, if we think about it globally, is still very strong. And Jesus said he would build his church. Jesus, who established the church, a man who lived the first 30 years of his life in utter obscurity, a humble birth into a poor family, a carpenter, unknown, living in this obscure part of the world called Nazareth, who one person said, can anything good come out of there? And then in the following three years of his life, he, he did things that would transform the world forever. Not only the things which he did uh, on, the, on the cross and all that type of stuff, but how he lived his life, how he ministered to people. And then he sent his Holy Spirit. He transformed some people, some fearful people, 120 people gathered in a room after Jesus had died. It was 50 days after. They were in a, a room for fear, hiding away, but they were waiting on something that Jesus had promised, the Holy Spirit. I've mentioned the Holy Spirit so many times this morning. And on that day of Pentecost, it talks about Pentecost means 50 days after the Passover. On that day, the Holy Spirit was poured out and 120 people were transformed, and the church began. The church was birthed. So 120 people, 2,000 years ago, is now 2.38 billion people because somebody told somebody else about the life-changing message of Jesus. And I think it would be really interesting, you know how you do your genealogy thing, wouldn't it be really interesting to trace back our spiritual family tree and I wonder which of those 120 people we, we would link our salvation to, the, uh, us being Christians. And the church, the church in essence is people. People from all cultures, all nationalities, all backgrounds. People who have been, who are being and will be transformed by the power of God. I don't know about you, I want to be changed. I don't want to be the old Stevie Roy that I know from years ago and that some other people know from years ago. Because <laughs> um, I've known some people uh, all my life who are part of this church. I want to be changed, transformed day by day and become more like Jesus. And that's what the church is. It's people being transformed by the power of God to become like Jesus. Let me read First Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. I'm going to refer to these other passages uh, as we go uh, into the message. But let's just read a few passages that tell us what the church is. And Tim, Paul's speaking to Timothy, and he says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you with these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And from this, this passage, we can see that the church is the household of God, the family of God, if you like. We are his children. He is our father. Paul also says that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. People don't necessarily want to listen to truth these days. Sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? And sometimes the truth confronts us in such an aggressive way that we go, wow, if that's true, I need to do something about my own life. But the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. And therefore, we need to keep speaking the truth into our culture and into our society. Colossians chapter 1, verse 8 and verse 24 says that the church is the body of Christ. Think about that. A body, many parts, all working towards one purpose. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says that the church is the display of God's wisdom to a spiritual world, both a demonic world and an angelic world. The church is the display of God's wisdom. Wow. You and I collectively, the characters that form this church, you and I collectively are the expression of Jesus 
in, the world, in this world? What do people see when they see you? Do they see Jesus in you? There's a challenging question. And so I want to think about this just for a little second. When we think about the church being people, us, the characters that make up church, and some people are bigger characters than others. Some people tell funny jokes and make everybody laugh at the prayer meeting on a Wednesday night, right? <laughs> some people are characters, okay? I remember when I was young, when I came to this church, and uh, George Curl would be about the same age as I am now, I think. And, you know, we used to say about George that he was a character. He still is a character. And I remember thinking, well, when I get to that age, I'll be able to say the things that George says and gets away with. And I'm like, I'm now that age and I still can't get away with saying those things because he's a character. But the reality is that we're all characters, all individuals who make up this thing called the church. And I want to ask you a question. What is more important, character or gift? What's more important, character or gift? I'm sure you know many people who are very, very gifted. Like Sarah's gifted on the keyboard. Josh is gifted on the drums. And we can be gifted in all sorts of ways. The Bible is full of gifted people, people who are really talented and they think, man, I wish I could be like that person. Gifted people are often in the public uh, realm, and I'm sure you, that you know people who are very gifted. And you may be a really gifted person, but let me remind you about what Paul says. What do you have that's not been given to you? What do you have that's not been given to you? So if you're a gifted person, you go, wow, thank you, Lord, for that gift. I realize that you've given me that gift, and with the gift comes a responsibility to do something with it. I don't know about you, but I eagerly desire spiritual gifts. As we go on in that book of Corinthians, we're going to refer to it in a little second, we, we see that Paul talks about spiritual gifts. I want to have more spiritual gifts. I remember when Andrew left the church and I took over from Andrew, one of the things that I was praying about was this gift of interpretation of tongues. I thought, if I'm leading services in this church, I need to have that gift working alongside the ability to discern and to distinguish between spirits, to know what God is saying in the life of the church. And so I prayed about that gift because I'd never been used that way before. And God answered that prayer, and he's answered it very, very clearly. But the reason that character is more important than gift, or one of the many reasons, actually, is that gifts can be faked. Gifts can be faked. There can be counterfeit gifts, okay? And there can be people who even look as if or sound as if they're using spiritual gifts to speak into the life of the church and it can just be coming from here or here rather than coming from the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be aware of that. And if our character is flawed, and sometimes actually if our character is flawed, it makes gifted people really, really, really dangerous. Think about that. Think about Hitler. A very, very gifted person but there was something wrong with his character. There was something wrong deep down inside, which meant that the way he exercised that gift was really, really harmful to billions of people. Just incredible. And when Paul is addressing the church, the church at Corinth, he refers to them as not lacking any spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 1, 7 says, Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. But he goes on to say, in 1 Corinthians 1, 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. And here's a church who's experiencing the gifts of the Spirit, and yet at the same time, they're divided as a church. And the word that's used there, the Greek word, is schisma. You can guess which English word we get from that, schisms. Essentially, it's meaning a tear. And if I take kind of illustrate this away, I think about the church the way it's supposed to be, all connected, joined up in one piece, and yet we can, this is what happens, sadly, in the church. We can actually cause the church to be torn apart through our thoughts and through our actions and through our insecurities. 
and through our disagreements on doctrine and all sorts of things, and we cause the church to become fragmented and divided. That was never God's plan. Read, if you don't believe me, read John chapter 17, where Jesus' prayer is for unity in the church. It's the unanswered prayer of Jesus. I've spoken about that before in the life of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 11 goes on to say, my brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. Chapter 3 verse 1, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. There are quarrels amongst them. Rather than being spiritual, they're worldly. And we'll maybe talk about that another time, a wee bit more what that means. They're just like little babies, little baby Christians that look really good on the outside, but actually because of the way they think, because of their character, they're just little babies. In fact, Paul goes on in chapter 6 of that passage to rebuke them, to give them a row, because they're taking one another to court, legal, uh, legal court, civil court, and trying to deal with their problems that way. And he says, don't, don't do that. Is there nobody wise enough amongst you to settle this dispute yourselves? And then 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. The church is the temple of God. If you read the Old Testament, you'll read about how when Solomon created this temple, that the presence of God came and filled the temple and was so intense that they couldn't do the things that they had intended to do, their their priestly duties. But now, God lives through His Holy Spirit in our hearts, and we've referred to that today. And I'm just repeating something that I shared last August, if you remember, and the message entitled, The Dreamer in the Distance. Character always trumps gift. And we need to understand this. Character always trumps gift. And to quote Bilbo Baggins, all that is gold does not glitter. He's referring to his friend Aragorn, if you've read the book or watched the movie. And Aragorn is this scruffy-looking guy uh, who, uh, to all intents and purposes, doesn't look that important, but actually, secretly, he is the, the heir to the throne. And the whole of the last book and the last film, The Return of the King, is about him coming back into his kingly position. And Bilbo says about him, all that's gold does not glitter. And that's what the thing is about character. All that is gold doesn't glitter. Some people look amazing on the surface, but it can be deceptive because of what's inside. And I would suggest that the church, the church is a crucible for character development. It really is. If you want your character developed, get yourself involved in a church because we need to interact in a way that that can sometimes be challenging because we do have different views. We do come from different perspectives and it can be challenging at times. And to quote John Ortberg, he said that your your heart is revealed and your character is forged when life does not turn out the way you planned. We all want a really happy, perfect life, but actually if we had a happy, perfect life, it wouldn't form character within us. It's as we go through difficulties and as we allow God to speak and grow through those difficulties that character is formed within us. And to quote Gordon MacDonald again, sorry, just what I read comes out, it just does. He says, character then is the deep current of what we are day after day. Character is then, uh, sorry, then is the deep current of what we are day after day. I want to ask, what is the deep current of your life? I want to say something here, and I think it's really important. For me, the deep current of my life comes from a deep conviction that the Bible is the Word of God. It is the revelation of God to our hearts. It's the revelation of God that changes who we are as people as we get to grips with the Bible, as we read it, as we understand it, as we put it into practice, it changes our hearts and 
our overall health. And so for me, that deep current of character flows out of that deep conviction that the Bible is, in actual fact, the words of God for us. Those words, when applied to us, transform us. Why do I say that is important? Because I think even in the church today, there are people who are saying, well, that part of the Bible doesn't really apply anymore. Let me just tell you that the whole of the Bible applies, as it always has done, to every generation. It applies to our generation in the same way. And if we disagree with the Bible, then we're disagreeing with God. And His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, because His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I remember on one occasion, uh, a young lady who was in our youth group, Belinda, um, arguing with us, uh, or arguing with me, about a point of Scripture. And she said, and she'll not mind me saying this, well, I don't care what the Bible says. <laughs> Bible, uh, sorry, Belinda sent me a message a few years ago and said, ah, I can't understand how hard that must have been for you now after working with young people for so many years. If we disagree with what's in the Word of God, we're disagreeing with God himself. And we need to make sure that we keep the Bible in its proper place. I'm using this, okay? I use this every day. I don't use a paper Bible so much now, but I use this, and it, I find it a helpful tool. But the Bible is the Word of God to us, and we need the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth from the Bible to us. Anyway, I'm starting to digress. What are the deep currents of your life? What are the deep currents? Is there a deep current of integrity in your life? We're talking about character, and character is more important than gift. If you're a gifted person and don't have integrity, then we could be in trouble. What's underneath the surface of your life? Is there a solid core strength at the surface of your life? Is there anybody in here who does core strength exercises? One or two people, okay. There's one or we need that core strength. It's not just about, you know, you, you've probably seen the guys at the gym doing their exercises and they're building up their biceps, right? And you can build up your biceps and have this big massive upper body and two wee max sticks for legs, right? <laughs> And, but but the, we need to have a core strength in it. That, that core strength is what sustains us through many difficult uh, physical stresses and strains. And it's the same with character. Integrity is that core strength. Are you honest with yourself? Are you honest with people? Are you honest with your finances? Are you honest with your time, with your passions, your power, your position, and your possessions? Are you honest with these things before God and before other people? Is there a deep current of faithfulness in your life. And I don't mean just the big decisions. I'm talking about the million small things that fill our days every single day. Are we faithful? Faithful to people. Faithful to the process of growing in Christ. Faithful to the church. Faithful to leadership. And most importantly and ultimately, faithful to God. Is there a deep current of humility in our lives? Humility is the ability to live relationally and at peace within ourselves and with others. It's also what makes us teachable as people. And I think we can learn from every situation in life, the good and the bad. We can learn from those who encourage us and those who criticize us. Is there a deep current of compassion in your life, compassion for others? And we see that in Jesus. Jesus was moved by compassion time and time again. It was his compassion that compelled him to weep and to heal and to meet needs and to give and to cross cultural boundaries and to cross societal boundaries. I said at the start, the church is people from all walks of life, regardless of your race, your color, your background, whether you're clever or not so clever, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. The church consists of people from all walks of life and there'll come a day we will be in heaven and there'll be people praising God from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every social economic background, people with one focus to praise God. Is there a deep current of servant, servant heartedness in your life and it's demonstrated by Jesus 
servant-heartedness. It's demonstrated by Jesus, who at the Last Supper that we referred to in communion this morning, took a towel, wrapped it around himself, took a basin of water, and he went and he washed each of the disciples' feet, including Judas. He washed the disciples' feet, the lowest of the low of all tasks, and yet he was prepared to demonstrate for his disciples and for us the importance of being a servant. When we're thinking about character, is there that deep current of servant-heartedness in your life? And I think that our character is visible to ourselves and others in our habits. I want to suggest something, that our heart shapes our habits. Our heart shapes our habits. Your heart, and I've said this before, and forgive me if you know this already, and I'm repeating myself, but I feel it's important to remind us that our heart is that internal part of who you are, your mind, your will, emotions, thoughts, motivation, attitude, your whole outlook on life, your worldview. That's in the heart part of us. And all these, it's all those things combined and brought together and the writer of the Proverbs instructs us to guard our heart because that's where life comes from. And our habits, our heart shapes our habits. The things that we do every day are settled and regular tendencies. What are those settled and regular tendencies that mark your life every day? I'm sure if we have everybody come and talk about what their day looks like, we'd have a unique interpretation of that for every single person. Your habits, the things that you do every day. But as much as our heart shapes our habits, I think our habits shape our heart, which is why there's that funny little arrow thing. Because it's, it's, it's a process where the two are interlinked and ha- that's happening all the time. Remember, character is that deep current of what we are day after day. And what we spend our time on day after day will ultimately shape our heart as well. It will have an effect on us. And the challenge is to think about what we do daily, weekly, monthly, annually that's shaping our hearts to become more godly. In the book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer suggests that there are four life habits that we need to cultivate. The first one is silence, easier for some than for others, isn't it? Especially if you live in a house with young kids or sometimes older kids, (laughs) musicians certainly. Silence, solitude, which is different from isolation. Isolation and, and cutting ourselves off from people is really dangerous, but solitude is a godly practice where we get ourselves alone with God and spend time with Him. Sabbath is the fourth one, the third one. That a rhythm of rest and worship that we do every week. And then the last one is simplicity. Have you ever noticed how complicated life is these days? Life is just, man, I remember when I was a kid, it was just never that complicated. But then there was not a lot of things to make it complicated. When I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have mobile phones. In fact, you were lucky even to get kids' TV. There was a little slot between four and six or something like that, and then news came on, and that was it. Maybe a Saturday morning, you'd get up and watch Champion the Wonder Horse or something like that. For <laughs> All the people who are laughing there now are just the people who are much older. So, so you guys who are younger, you, you Google it. <laughs> you. Just keeping life simple. That's what my dad used to say to me all the time. Keep it simple. He had this little thing. Was it kiss? Keep it simple, stupid. Or, or was it keep it simple, Stevie? Or was it <laughs> maybe the two were the same thing? And I just kind of, in, in this book, the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he quoted First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. I don't know if you remember me. I've, I've mentioned this before. It says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. I'm like, yes, yes, we're allowed to lead a quiet life. We don't need to be jumping about all over the place and doing this, that, and the next thing. We're allowed to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. Amazing. I I felt relieved when I read that. I was like, yes, I'm seeing this in a different way. It's amazing. It's great because I'm a hobbit at heart. 
Hobbits like a simple, quiet life and plenty of food. And actually, I came across this just totally by accident. There's a man called Isaac Walton, and this was his favorite verse. And in the authorized version, it says, study to be quiet. Isaac Walton is the father of modern fishing. Did you know that? I was like, somebody else agrees with me. It's great. Excellent. Study to be quiet. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Silence, solitude, Sabbath, and simplicity. I know for some people today, you're probably saying, actually, life's too quiet. And for some people, they probably, it's like, I could do a wee bit of action and some stuff going on. But for those who are thinking that life is too quiet, spare a thought for those uh, who have young families and, and those who are working to keep a roof over their heads and pay the bills and keep the cupboards stocked and the people who are studying flat out to build a good foundation for their future. Do you know, it's so important to know the season in life that we're in and to know what to do in that season. All these things that form our character, the things that we do, the things that we think, the things that we say, and we do them daily, weekly, monthly, and annually. Just as I draw things to a conclusion today, what do you do every day to pursue God? What do you do every single day to pursue God, to pursue his presence, his righteousness, his holiness, his guidance, his kingdom in your life, when we pray that prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're asking for God to do something in us, in our family, in our church, in our business, our workplace, our school, our college, wherever we find ourselves. We're asking for God to come into the situation. Do you know, he will only do that by invitation. And it highlights to me the importance of doing something every day to pursue God reading our Bibles or listening to. As I was saying, I use this for my Bible most times. On you version, there are so many translations where you can actually just listen to the Bible being read to you. What's his name? Is it David Suchet, I think? The guy who did Poirot. He will read the Bible to you. Just select the chapter, press play, and he will read it to you. You don't even need to read it. That's nice, isn't it? But getting into God's Word every day and allowing it to transform us as the Holy Spirit takes it and reveals it and shows us who we are, shows us how we need to change. Things like prayer, worship, and not just relying on a Sunday message to get you through, because a Sunday message isn't enough to get you through. The things that we need to do every day, like work, rest, and play, spending time with our families, I remember a guy I used to work beside, and he loved Mars bars. <laughs> you knew I was going to say this, eh? It just came back to my mind, and I thought I'd say it anyway. His name was Jimmy, and he used to say that his Mars bars were different. You remember that advert, a Mars a day helps you work, rest, and play? Well, his had the work taken out of them, he said. <laughs> so that was his excuse. But the reality is that for many of us, we need to work every day. Every day we need to do something to bring in the income into the family. But every day we need to pursue God. What do we do weekly to pursue God? And one of the things that I mentioned there was Sabbath, the importance of that weekly rhythm of rest and worship. I spoke on Sabbath just not so many weeks ago and trying to come back to the importance of taking time to rest and to worship God. That's a challenge. I'm still working on that because what does that look like for somebody who works every Sunday? Still trying to get my head around it. But that weekly gathering, that Sabbath, where we come together to praise God, to worship God, to serve God, and church gathered in the last few months has been a challenge, hasn't it? <sighs> Who knew that COVID would hit us the way it has? But there's something vital about our connection as we come together. For those who are online, Speak to those who are here today and they'll tell you that there's something different about the dynamics of being in the same room together and being encouraged together. And I can't wait to the day when we can sing and raise the roof off this place. What do we do daily to pursue God? What do we do weekly to pursue God? What do we do monthly to pursue God? Do we tithe? Do we give a tenth of our income to the Lord every month? 
perhaps taking stock of where you are in your progress in God and life and the pursuit of your dreams and visions, the things that God has placed, taking time once a month to just evaluate and say, here's where we are. Have we made progress? Are we progressing back the way? Or are we progressing forward? Where are we? Taking time just to monthly reflect on what God is saying to us. And annually, we think about all the, the seasons, and thankfully we're coming into a nice season. I love spring. But think about annually, the celebrations, the birthdays, the anniversaries, and for some that's a challenge. I get that. Christmas times where we gather as families and as church families, and those cycles of rest and recuperation and times where we take time to just spend time with God, extended periods of time, maybe when we're on holiday. These are the things that form our habits every day. What do your habits look like today? What habits do you have in your life daily, weekly, monthly, annually that help you to pursue God and all that he has for you? And at the end of the day, the goal of all this is spiritual maturity, fruitfulness, and unity. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 talks about us no longer being infants. It's time to grow up. We're beyond the nursery school days. We're beyond the primary school days. We're beyond first and second year where our heads are full of nonsense. We're going into third year. At least that was what mine was like. And then you leave school and you go into college, university, study further, a job, whatever you do, and you realize all the little things that you learned there and as you've been grown as a person and you take them all into the workplace. Who are you becoming in the process? For those who've got young kids, who are our kids becoming in the process as we grow? The goal is spiritual maturity, fruitfulness, and unity. And as Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1 reminds us, a good name is better than lots of money. It's better to have a good name. Oh, when somebody talks about that character, that person, yeah, they're a great person. You want to spend time with them. That's far better than having all the money in the world in the bank. And you and I, you and I are the church. Therefore, your progress and my progress affects the corporate progress of the church. And I'm going to reflect on that a little bit next week. Your progress and my progress affects our corporate progress as a church. I don't want our church to look like this, okay? I don't want our church to look like this because I know how disrespectful that is to God and how it brings his name down. But your progress and my progress affects our corporate progress. And here's the thing, here's the thing, and we need to understand this. We can't do this on our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit in us to change us. We need an intervention in our hearts to change us. I don't know about you, I've experienced this in the past where you're trying to work through things in your own strength and you keep coming up against the same brick walls and then there comes a moment of realization where you actually just invite God into that situation and you say, actually, I'm not making progress in this. I need you to come in and speak in this situation so that my character is developed into godly character. When people look at you and I, they see Jesus in us. Because the church, the church is the expression, expression of Jesus in this world. Let's just bow our heads as we pray, as we draw things to a close today. And just before we pray, let me just say, there are maybe people who have never invited the Holy Spirit into their lives. They've never made that decision to become a Christian. You can do that today. And it's a simple prayer that you pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And you just pray this prayer into, your, into yourself after me. And if you pray that prayer and mean it, then you're inviting the Holy Spirit into your life to do that work in your heart, that work in your character. And to begin to change you and transform you so that your life becomes like Jesus. 
And then I'm going to pray for the church that we have the strength to be changed and transformed and to become like Jesus, to have his character within us. So let's just pray. If you've never made a decision to become a Christian, you've never invited God into your life, then pray this prayer into yourself after me. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for what he has done for me. I thank you that he can forgive me and can make me clean. And so I ask that you do that. I ask that you come into my life and make me the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, just let somebody know and we'll help you on your journey as a Christian. And Father, we pray for each of us. Lord, we're all from different walks of life, different backgrounds, different family uh, situations and different things that we're experiencing, whether in, in work, in school, in college, in uni. Father, for those of us who are at home, those who are retired, Lord, we each have our different challenges those who have health challenges that we prayed for earlier on, Lord, those of us who are struggling with grief and, and mourning, and, and Father, just the, the process that we're walking through, Lord, we pray that you'd help each one of us wherever we're at in life. Father, help each one of us to pursue you daily, weekly, monthly, annually, Father, to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we recognize that each of us need uh, uh, that, that transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because it's not about what we do in our own strength. It's about what you do in us that ultimately works out of us. And so, Father, we pray that you would come and that you would transform our hearts. Lord, that you would point out areas in our characters that we need to work on. And, Lord, prayerfully, may we work in our character in those areas. And, Father, we know that you can give us the victory in those areas. We know that we can be transformed. We know that we can be changed because, Father, you can do anything, and we thank you for that. And so, Father, we come and we bring this prayer before you. Lord, help us as a church. Lord, we're all experiencing the difficulties of uh, the, the season that we're in. Father, this, this difficult season that our, our, our whole world is facing. Father, we pray, help us. Those who feel isolated and alone, Father, we pray that you would be a comfort and strength. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us to encourage one another and to put strength into one another as well. So Lord, we just look to you for this week that lies ahead. We pray that we would know your presence, that we would know your blessing and our lives, that we would know your hand upon us. And Lord, we pray that you would just continue to form godly character within us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord give you a fantastic week ahead as you look to him. Amen.